And let's be clear, we exist only as a Great Commission people. We exist in order that sinners will hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and believe and be saved from all the nations. The marching orders of the Church of Jesus Christ were to go into all the world and preach the gospel because the gospel has the power unto salvation. This is what it means to follow Christ. A call to live, a call to die, a call to spend your life for Jesus here and around the world until he returns. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. I'm your host, Paul Aiken. And as we've spent our time walking through kind of a journey and an overview of Christian missions history, one of the things that we wanted to do was kind of scan out a little bit and choose a couple of different missionaries along the way to focus some time and some energy and attention. And the first person that we're going to be highlighting is Samuel Zwimmer. Samuel Zwimmer contributed arguably more to mission work amongst Muslims than any other recent missionary in history. He was a faithful missionary, a a fervent mobilizer, a foundational theologian for Christian mission to Muslims. And even though he didn't see large numbers of Muslims trust in Christ and come to saving faith, noted mission historian Kenneth Scott Lauterette wrote of Zwimmer, quote, no one through all the centuries of Christian mission to Muslims has deserved better than Dr. Zwimmer the designation of apostle to Islam. Yes, today is Dr. Clayton Clore. Dr. Clore serves as the president of the Baptist College of Florida. He received his Master of Divinity and his PhD from Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary. He wrote his dissertation on the life and ministry of Samuel Zwimmer. Before moving to the Baptist College of Florida, he was the senior pastor of the Church of the Cross in Orlando. And I'm grateful on a personal level for his insights into Zwimmer and really looking forward to the conversation. Dr. Clore, welcome to the podcast. Oh, wow. Thank you, Paul. It's a privilege to be with you and a privilege to talk about Samuel Zwimmer. Why don't we start with just kind of a quick overview. Who was Samuel Zwimmer? Well, he was the son of a pastor of Dutch Reformed immigrants who had come to the States in the middle of the 19th century and lived in Michigan. He was the 13th of 15 children in this home. His mother laid him in his cradle with the prayer that God would call him to be a missionary. His older sister would spend 40 years in China as a missionary working among Muslims. His brother would die on the field. Well, he actually returned to the States. He got sick on the field, returned to the States and died in 1898 as a missionary. And Zwemer would spend his life doing work among Muslims. And when we say doing work among Muslims, it's just really going to be a challenge for us in 30 minutes to just walk the fence line of all that he did and how he is ultimately the bridge between about 1,300 years of a controversial approach to Islam and winning Muslims and to what is the more modern contextualized approach. There is no other name on the list, really, more than Zwemer, maybe Duncan McDonald. So really cool dude. He wrote prolifically. I mean, the guy wrote 230 journal articles. He edited Muslim World for 38 years. He started it. He wrote over 55 books in English. 
That's not counting all the ones he wrote and other things. Just the bibliography for my dissertation was kind of a contribution to the field because of all that he did. He traveled the entire Muslim world and saw every theater in the world. And he did it really more than once. And so, like you say, he may not have seen an enormous amount of converts. He did in Indonesia and he got to witness that. But he really was a catalyst and a champion for it. And oh, on the side, he did the student volunteer movement and helped start Urbana and all this stuff. So, I mean, pretty cool dude. Yeah, that's a great overview. And you mentioned some of the things about his background in terms of kind of Dutch reform family, large family, several of his siblings going on to do missionary work. I want to get back to kind of earlier in his life, though, and let's talk a little bit about what was it that caused him to want to go to the Muslim world? You know, you you rightly highlighted that there had been a, a bit of a gap in kind of an emphasis on Christian mission to Muslims. So what was it that led Samuel to have this desire to want to go to the Muslim world? I think one of the things I'll give you is more kind of my impression. Others of it is just, it's fact. And so my impression is that Zwemer knew three languages by the time he was five years old. And he was literate in two of those already when he was five years old. And so he was a prolific learner, brilliant young man. And his family really cultivated this type of education in the home. So they would gather around the table and do school in the middle part of the 19th century and learn all these languages. His dad was sort of the president of Hope College in Holland, Michigan, and that was a big influence on his life. And so he just lived his life around all this learning. And the Muslim world was the most mysterious, most dark, most difficult area. And so that's the first piece. The second piece was the student volunteer movement. In fact, it was Wilder himself who came to Hope College and used a metronome and spoke about India. This famous metronome is going to come up again later in the story, in the story of William Borden. But this metronome ticking back and forth, talking about how many people were dying without Christ in India and how many of those were Muslims and how unreached the world was. And Zwemer just couldn't take it. He wanted to be a missionary and he wanted to go in the darkest places of the world. And so when he was in college, after Hope College, he goes to New Brunswick for seminary. And it's there he meets James Cantine, one other gentleman who they wanted to create a mission work among Muslims in Arabia. And there was no mission organization in the world at that time that was devoted for it. They could not get a sending agency. And so they went through their agency to Arabia, and then they started their own Arabian mission. So I don't want to get ahead of it, but all of this just kind of piled together for him to say, I'm going to spend my days in this unreached peoples. Yeah, that's good. You know, you alluded to some of this in terms of the Muslim world at this time kind of being unknown. Can you talk a little bit about How much did the Christian world know about the Muslim world during this time? Maybe why was there a big gap of Christians who were not willing to go to Muslim context? Can you shed some light on some of that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, in Christianity in that season, there was an idea that you had to deconstruct the society and the culture. It was so interwoven into a false set of belief. And so you had to somewhat deconstruct it in order to turn people to Christ. And so it was much more of a 
controversy, much more of a collision. In fact, even some of his Weimer's earliest writings used a lot of military imagery or that this was like the battering ram or the you're going to go in and attack the beaches of Islam and this kind of thing. And so that was very much the old approach. The pre-World War One and missiologically World War One shifted the whole evangelical or Protestant or Christian world to really think differently. And Zwemer had to deal with that. And he just said, hey, let's start appreciating the people. Let's start understanding the people. Let's start ministering to people where they are. But before then, people did not, you know, they're like Henry Martin. You go and you get killed. You stand up, you preach the gospel three times and you get martyred for it, you know? (laughs) So there was a sense that you had to deconstruct everything before you introduced Christ to these people. And Zwemer started saying, wait, wait, we can do something different. Mm, that's good. All right. You mentioned earlier, you know, he connects up with James Cantine. They end up having a desire to go to the Middle East. They want to go to Arabia. So can you talk about kind of his first term in the Middle East? Where did he go? What were some noteworthy events and happenings kind of on his first journey there to Arabia? Yeah, well, Zwemer was so committed to collective work that his thought was never just, I'm going to go one place, I'm going to establish something that's going to be a throbbing heart for this community. It was always, let's look at the breadth of it. So even on his first, when he left in 1890, along with Cantine, they end up going to Beirut and make some decisions about separating in order to start mission stations and then meeting up because they're trying to establish Stations. There were various missionaries who had gone to certain places there, like Ian Keith Faulkner in Aden, Yemen. So I've been there, been to see that place, and and he died there, and so he's buried there. And so Zwemer goes down to Aden, and Cantine goes a different way, and he, he tries to establish a mission station there and is able to do that. Then he travels over and starts a couple of other mission statements, deals with some persecution. He was a single man at this time, extremely lonely. It was difficult. Very, There are almost zero national believers or anybody that he can find who's a believer. And so it's a very isolated life. He is studying, writing, reading, just very inquisitive. And that kind of captures his attention. But it was hard. That first term was incredibly lonely. He ends up in Bahrain where they establish a third mission station and they reunite Canton and Swimmer there. So by the end of his first term, they've started together at least four different mission stations where missionaries can come now and begin to come through their platforms and live, serve, and reach people with the gospel or at least try to create some relationships. Yeah, that's good. There's some fascinating stories about kind of his trips into, yeah, what would be modern day Yemen and some of those kinds of things and just almost discovering kind of new worlds in a sense, just places where Westerners, where foreigners had not gone before, at least not documented these kinds of things. And maybe talk a little bit about, you mentioned his brother, Peter. Also, eventually he meets his wife. They have some children. Can you talk some about some of those family challenges for Zwimmer as it relates to both his brother and also to his to his daughters. Yeah, well, like I had mentioned earlier already that Peter came to the field and served there, loved it like Samuel did, but he 
became deathly ill, ends up returning to the States in 1898. He'd only been on the field, compared to Zwemer, a little bit of a shorter period and would then die here. Now, Zwemer had dealt with death growing up because he actually had 14 brothers and sisters, but only 12 of them made it, excuse me, yeah, 14 or 15 total counting Zwemer and only 12 of them made it to adulthood. And so he had seen that and when his brother died, he met Amy Wilkes, who was an Australian missionary in 1896. They end up falling in love, get married, have children. And uh, in 1904, two of their children die of dysentery as well. And again, that same, there's another linkage to William Borden in that story. We'll talk about it in a minute because, well, but, you know, so Zwemer, he shed a lot of blood. He paid a lot of price mm-hmm. to go there, as all of those missionaries did in those age. And his philosophy of ministry, getting among the people, staying among the people, actually uncovering how they were living, what they believed, not looking at Islam as some monolithic block, but approaching the people where they were. It made him a little more vulnerable to those things, but he just had an indomitable spirit. He was able to forge through those difficult seasons and those deaths. But it sent him on a little bit of a tailspin after his daughters died. And Zwemer and his wife returned to the States, and he took a two-year commission with the student volunteer movement Mm -hmm. and started traveling and preaching. And that's when he preached that famous sermon in Nashville. And maybe I'll just go ahead and tell that story. I hope I'm not getting out of turn here, brother. But you ask a guy about his dissertation topic, you might just (laughs) regret it later, you know, because when you spend 10,000 hours studying somebody, unfortunately, you don't always get asked about them. So he's preaching in Nashville at what you and I would think of as a passion event or something, you know, is thousands of college students there and William Borden's in the house and he uses his metronome that he'd seen Wilder use. And he talked about how lost the Muslim world was and that Borden surrendered to the missionary call then and signed the Princeton Pledge, then takes his journey, meets Zwemer a little later in Cairo. And of course, Borden's on his way to China never makes it to China, gets a dysentery in Cairo and dies while with Zwemer there Mm. in Cairo. So there was a lot of brokenness and death and things that they sacrificed to try to reach the Muslim world at that time. Mm. Mm. That's good. Yeah. I want to talk some more in a moment about kind of his involvement in student volunteer and kind of mobilizing But something that I know is of particular interest to you is his particular strategy in terms of kind of engaging people in missionary work. So in his strategy towards trying to reach Muslims with the gospel, where did Zwimmer often begin in terms of his strategy? Well, you mentioned my dissertation. My dissertation was technically not really biographical. It was more missiological, and it talked about his model of Muslim contextualization. And I really do state the case that others had said that he changed the whole evangelical and Christian world's approach to Islam in the context of these things. But Zwemer believed in really understanding where people were, not judging them based upon just a set of doctrines, but let's see how they live. And then let's start in their culture and bridge something to them. He called them points of contact. Now, I'm using the word bridge like Phil Parshall would or 
some of our more modern missiologists was, he called them points of contact. And he was the first that started searching through everything that had to do with the worldview of the people and say, let's don't just try to deconstruct their worldview totally. Let's find some bridges in it to be able to walk the gospel across to them. And Zwemer would use the Quran. Now, Zwemer knew the Quran better than the vast majority. I mean, 99% of the people he ever spoke to. He spoke Arabic. He spoke it very well. In fact, there's a famous story where Zwemer goes in a mosque outside of, this is not in Saudi Arabia or something, but outside of the Middle East. And he's the only one in the building that speaks Arabic. So he kind of does a demo of Arabic, and then he starts talking about how the Quran says to study the Engil. And so what does the gospel say? And then he just preaches Christ to them. And, you know, he wrote a, a book called The Muslim Christ or Muslim Christ, and and it talks about the Christ of Islam. And then he would use those points of contact. He'd ask somebody, very similar to what we do today when we try to witness to someone and we begin maybe with a point of contact in their world. He had he had about five or six of these that he commonly used and he wrote prolifically about how to use them. Mm -hmm. And so that's how he approached people to try to share with them. Another thing about Zwemer, and you asked it, Paul, his whole missiological approach started in the micro and moved to the macro. He was a personal evangelist. And he believed that you build good missiology from the ground up, not from the top down. And so he would uh, he would uh, go into somebody's home or he would speak to somebody on the street. And that would have a lot more to do with what his findings were and what he published than maybe something he read somebody else had said. So mm. the Great Commission is a call to go. And a call to go is a call to prepare. Whether you're called to advance the gospel in your local church or on mission fields around the world, Southern Seminary is committed to preparing you for a lifetime of faithful ministry. Designed with flexibility and personalization in mind, the Master of Divinity in Great Commission Studies allows pastors, missionaries, and ministry leaders to prepare for their own unique call to ministry. It's designed to equip students with the biblical foundation and the practical training needed to present the gospel clearly in cross-cultural missional settings. To learn more about the Master of Divinity in Great Commission Studies, go to sbts.edu bgs or go to the episode notes for this podcast and click the link to the Billy Graham School of Southern Seminary. There, you'll learn how listeners to this podcast can save $40 when applying for classes. That web address again is sbts.edu slash bgs. Obviously, just a very talented and gifted man serving on the mission field, you know, fervent evangelist to Muslims. But as you mentioned, the Lord did bring him back to the United States for several years to kind of serve a particular role at a particular time. So I would love for you to talk some more about his role in, in missions mobilization and the importance in mobilizing students and what that looked like in his life. Yeah, well, that ended up not being the primary subject of my study. I really looked at his model of Muslim contextualization, but I will tell you that there are gaps in the research. And if you've got a PhD student in missiology who are wondering, man, I need a good topic, you can write on this. I think there's room for a whole piece on this. Because out of Spear and Wilder and Mott and Zwemer, who are the four horsemen of the student volunteer movement, Everyone I have read 
said without contest that Zwemer was the most outstanding of their preachers and orators, and just God's anointed was on him to speak to students. And Borden is somewhat of a subject to that. There are many others who signed the Princeton Pledge, who decided to go to be missionaries. And frankly, Paul, what we're seeing today globally is a lot of the fruit that came out of that movement 120 years ago. And because it just, I mean, look at what's happened in China. It's unbelievable what's happening in China. And it, a lot of it came out of that movement. So it's multiplied thousands mm. and tens of thousands. Mm. Zwemer never stayed anywhere long. He would go somewhere and stay two months, and then he was gone. He would stay two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, and write, and then go to the next place. He catalyzed work all over the world and was the most sought-after guy to speak. And that's why I mentioned Urbana. I mean, when they started Urbana, we're talking about in the 40s. Zwemer now is a very old man, if you will, as a missionary. He's approaching 80, and they want him to be the keynote. That's the kind of speaker that he really was. And he loved that. It just threw energy into him. He had been to every field. He could speak to these young people. He was the missions professor at Princeton for the last 15 years or so of his life in ministry. And so he was working with college students all the time. He was writing about it. He was traveling and seeing it. He was involved in every significant conference that was held overseas and had some sort of paper presentation or role in it. And so for the young people to be around him, it's hard to kind of come up with an analogy of it. What John Mott was to the World Council of Churches, Zwemer kind of was to student volunteer movement. And Mm -hmm. while Mott put it all together and funded it, Zwemer was the voice and kind of the, the mission and one of the, if not the, for it. So uh, mm. I think there's a lot that could be written there, like I said. Mm, that's good. You mentioned earlier kind of that big conference in Nashville, and, and I think the address, I think it's under the title, the, the Glory of the Impossible, maybe. And so those of you who are listening who may not be familiar with with some of Zwimmer's work, you could Google the glory of the impossible Samuel Zwimmer, and you could see some of the things that he presented to those students that I would say 120 years later now still are very impactful in terms of kind of inspiring and motivating people to consider giving their lives for the spread of the gospel in Muslim context. So thanks for mentioning that. I want to switch to some more rapid fire questions here. What are a few good books that you would recommend for people if they want to learn more about Zwimmer? Well, you mentioned Christy Wilson's biography. I'm not sure it's in print. I hadn't checked it lately, you know, (laughs) but you want to read a biography about him. That's an excellent one. I would recommend that you read his material Mm. and just get the cross above the crescent, get the Muslim Christ, get the law of apostasy, which is a phenomenal book. Get the Cradle of Islam, Arabia, the Cradle of Islam. You're really going to, if you're into anthropology and missiology and how they relate, you're going to read somebody at the end of the 19th century who is writing at that level of anthropology just is incredible. And then dive into a few of his articles, just peruse Mm -hmm. some of those. 
those are probably some of the easier ones. But he's got 55 books <laughs> and prolific in his writing. But those are probably the ones I'd recommend to you first. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, the Christy Wilson one that he mentioned, I believe, is titled The Apostle to Islam. So if you're looking for that one, that's a, that's a, that could be a good starting point. All right. Do you have a favorite Samuel Zwimmer story? I do. It wraps all of this together that we've talked about. So him and James Hunt are in Egypt. Of course, Zwimmer had three phases to his ministry. Maybe I'll mention that. The first phase was his mission field phase through about 1904, death of his daughters, came back student volunteer. Then he goes back to Cairo and he centers his efforts in Cairo. That's where he does so much of his writing. He believes it's the intellectual center of the Muslim world. And so he writes there. He he views Islam challenges, debates, travels out from there. That's where Borden comes to see him and dies. And so so James Hunt's there to see him. Let me get to the story. It's supposed to be rapid fire. I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> You're good. You, you got me off the chain here, brother. So they're going to see the tombs of the kings out in Luxor. And there's a funeral procession. And it's very unusual for you to be able to connect into a funeral procession. And so Swimmer just abandons Mr. Hunt, leaves him, spends the entire rest of the day and into the night with this family and this procession studying, trying to uncover their worldview. Now, he's been doing this for 20 plus years already, but he wants to see how they're interpreting the death, everything that they're doing, everything that they're saying. And he stays with them the rest of the day. They never make it to the tombs of the kings and hunts. That was his day to go out there. And he's like, I came here to see Zwemer and we on our way out there. He abandons me and leaves me. And But that's the epitome <laughs> of Samuel Zwemer. That's how he was. That's good. You know, I love some of those stories. Like you mentioned, when he was in Cairo, there's a major university, Islamic university there, Al-Azhar. And there's some stories about him going into the university and arguing and debating with some of the Muslim clerics and and having some opportunities to read the scriptures. And so just a yeah, fascinating guy, very bold guy. The next question is a fill in the blank question. And so you can fill it in with however you want. The best thing about Samuel Zwimmer's life and ministry was blank. Christ-centered. I'll drop another bomb on some of these master's students who are thinking about PhD work. There's a whole dissertation in the response to Hawking's stuff and rethinking missions that really led the World Council of Churches that expressed the World Council of Churches wholesale departure from an evangelical presentation of anything that related to the gospel. Zwemer was the only American missiologist who took that to task. And his disciple, Heinrich Kramer, also wrote probably the best defense from an evangelical perspective of keeping a missiology that is Christ-centered and gospel-centered. And so Zwemer's little volume, Evangelism, Message Not Method, is one that I didn't mention earlier, but you should get that volume because Southern Baptist Evangelist. Gray Allison, Roy Fish, Jack Stanton, these titans of Southern Baptist evangelism during the middle part of the 20th century, they were heavily influenced by that volume. 
And he wrote it late and he did it to kind of combat the drift away from a Christ-centered approach to sharing Christ. And instead we started sharing and Zwemer actually wrote an article against sharing because he didn't like the way the World Council of Churches was doing. It was kind of more of a cultural exchange. Ebert said the most secularizing force in the history of the world has been Protestant missionaries. And so the fact that he was Christ-centered to me mm. from beginning to end was mm. the best part about him. Yeah. Amen. All right. Last question. If Zwimmer were here with us today, how might he challenge us? What would he say to us maybe to encourage us? Well, I think the first thing he'd say is, you guys need to study more <laughs> because we've got so many resources he didn't have. He would have just been goo-goo about all of the opportunity we have to learn and then to travel quickly. He would be just enthralled with it. And he would say, man, give your life. I mean, really, give your life to the spread of the gospel. And you watch what God will do with it in a lifetime. So uh, I think that's what he would say. Yeah. Amen. Dr. Clark, thank you so much for your time for the conversation today. My privilege. To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Thank you for joining us on Amazon to the Himalayas. This podcast is brought to you by the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. Please visit our website, www.sbts.edu slash BGS, where you can subscribe to the show and learn more. Also, if you have found these conversations helpful, please leave us a comment or a review and encourage your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast.